Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, go ahead and roll for perception. I got a 13. Hey, that's pretty good. With that, you can tell there's some fantasy situations going on. You hear some adult language. And with that, you can tell this podcast probably isn't for kids. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm Will. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons, from yucky universes to yummy unicorns. And today, we're talking about Eugoliths. All right, Brian. So today we're talking about Yugoloths or Yugoloths. That's a funny name. It is a funny name, and it is the name of the third major classification of fiends. Oh, also the yeah, it's a it's a type of fiend. Okay, Um, it's the third uh, it's the third major type of fiend besides demons and devils, and it's also the third major power at play uh, in the Blood War. So Yugoloths kind of have a lot going on. There's a third party. There is a third party involved. No, indeed. Um, originally, Yugoloths were actually called daemons, but they had <laughs> Matt daemons. <laughs> Matt daemons. But they had their name changed when uh, in the eighties there was like this fundamentalist Christian scare of like a Satanist scare when it came to D anD. d Oh, like so, in the eighties. Yeah, in the eighties. So uh, when that happened, they uh, the makers of D anD. d changed the names of the fiends from devils, demons, and daemons to Tanari. Bayatazu and Yugoloths. Okay. And the Tanari and Bayatazu got renamed back to their original Demons and Devils. But Yugoloths are like, eh, we'll just keep them the same. Okay. And I actually kind of like it. That way like when it. your parents open up the book, they don't see the word demon like over and over again. They just see some yeah, jargon. Exactly. Okay. They just see jargon was the idea. Um, and I think <laughs> like the reason- You would have to read it to know. Right. And I think the reason they didn't change Yugoloths back to demons is because- Matt you already Damon. have demons and demons and demons. That's just kind of confusing, okay. I think, personally. <laughs> and uh, and Eugoliths work, so here we are. So Eugoliths, uh, they hail from the lower plane of Gehenna, but they can be found in literally all of the lower planes. They are a neutral evil fiend. Okay. You know, so while devils are lawful evil and demons are chaotic evil, Eugoliths are inherently neutral evil. 
And because of this, their motives and their drives differ greatly from both demons and devils. While demons are dr driven by destruction, hatred, and corruption, the devils are, and the devils are driven by ambition, tyranny, and power, Eugoliths have a strict what's-in-it-for-me philosophy. Okay. It's kind of like what you said in the UNT episode where you said neutral evil is really tied to selfishness. Yeah. It, in, in this case, it, it is very much so. It tied into, like, the glory of self. And uh, if, with the Eugoliths specifically, it's about greed. Um, they, they enjoy acts of torture, murder, and villainy as much as any self-respecting fiend. Uh, and they see value in things like rules and hierarchy that the devils use. But first and foremost, first and foremost in any Eugolist mind is uh, self-gain, avarice, and worldly possessions. They okay. desire worldly wealth, money. So one is chaotic, one is lawful, and one is whatever it takes. Exactly. Yeah. Very much so. So, um, the neutral neutral is very very powerful in a you're way. Not, you're not bound by like, you know, a chaotic character isn't going to be lawful because it's not in their nature. Mm -hmm. That is kind of what is implied, mm -hmm. or is it implied? I'm chaotic, so I'll do. I think that kind of takes With, away from neutrality if you to, treat it like that. When it comes to demons or chaotic evil as like a thing. Um, the the alignment can be very limiting because like you're so one track minded. It's about destruction and chaos and entropy. You're sure. about taking stuff down and ripping things apart, and like you're not building anything a lot of the time. Okay. Um. And then while you're lawful evil, you are kind of stuck in these strict set of codes, which could be limiting. Mm. Which we'll kind of get into. The Eugolists definitely see it the way you're seeing it, where it's like we're better yeah, because we're whatever. not we're not confined to any of these ideals. Right? We're, they actually see themselves as a pure evil, like they're the true evil in in their own eyes. So now, um, Eugolists, much like demons and devils, have a whole myriad of kinds, appearances, and classifications of power levels. Um, unlike devils and demons, though. Like, okay, so with the devils, they got this real kind of like almost biblical devil look or like divine comedy kind of look. To yeah, the, to totally. The, like a classic standard, like fallen angel. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. While the demons just generally look horrific and monstrous. Okay. Um, so is the the kind of depiction of devils is like um, like renaissance-y kind of? Very renaissance-y for yeah. sure. Yeah, okay. exactly. And well, what is this like modern sci-fi that we're talking about? Huh? For the Eugoliths? For the Eugoliths, they are, uh, they they just, they vary very wildly. And there's no rhyme or reason to, like, the way they look. Um, some of them are, like, insectoid humanoids. Some of them are, like, literal, like, like jackal men. Okay. Who, like, wear fine garments. Others do that look <laughs> kind of devilish. Some kind of look demonish. Like, one just looks like a freaking alien. Like, like an actual, like, gray like a little green man. alien. Like, a, not like a little green man, like a tall, thin gaunt oh, green man like, but the, like an alien like the ones that sell beef jerky on the way to las vegas from california i have no idea what you're talking about now <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but maybe okay, sure yeah. yeah yes the answer is yes so but they, move on they, yeah so they, they they vary wildly and we'll, we'll talk about some of the more prominent ones but uh do but any yeah, of just, them have two heads um i'm sure some of them do none that i know of shout out to demon gorgon oh god <laughs> so yeah i just wanted to give you a uh kind of a an image of the kinds of beings we're talking about as we mm. get into this okay so they are heavily involved in the blood war and like demogorgon uh yes much like demogorgon but Demogorgon. unlike demogorgon they consider themselves a completely neutral party in the affair interfering and taking signs only when they deem it profitable or having the potential to further their own schemes opportunists yeah they're opportunists and they often organize themselves uh into private armies for hire for either oh. side of the war oh 
Yeah. And whoever bids the highest gets the army. And they reserve the right to switch sides mid-fight if they please. Okay. So they're super unreliable. Yeah. So the like the contractual obligation that a devil would like lend to this mm. like sting operation could be like immediately just like thrown to the wayside. Indeed. And even if they did promise, they, they they'll just uh, I lied. <laughs> I lied. Do? I lied. As Fuck I have it. from the very beginning. Later. <laughs> uh, so um, okay. So they're meeting up with these other parties, and they're getting contracted to do work. And what's the payment? Souls? Are we talking souls? No, the payment's money. Uh, these guys, they worldly wealth is what Ugolus desire. Oh, what? Gold, Just straight up gold? Gems, worldly wealth. It's, wow. They, they, yeah. It's, oh. They don't give a shit about souls. Well, that's super easy for de- for devils, for sure. Yeah. Devils definitely have the wealth. Yeah. More so what, than how demons. demons get money? They have to like, I mean, eat people and spit it back the out. Same way, the same way that devils do from, from people and mortals and whatnot. Oh, they're making deals and yeah. shit? Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, considering. Never heard of, never heard of demons making, making well, deals with the, people. Well, the demon lords no. will make deals. Oh. Yeah. But like, not that because oh, they yeah, want to make a deal, but it's just like, we'll give you this uh, fight for us. Oh, yeah. Oh, and okay. That's my okay. demon lord voice, apparently. Oh, Okay, but yeah. but yeah, Sounds so it's like it's Demogorgon. it's not like a contract that's signed with when Demogorgon hires some Ugoliths. It's more like a, here now do the thing. Well, oh, with yeah, the devils, it's like sign this contract and yada yada yada. Oh, okay, we need you to be here and like they talk strategy and, and tactics. And gotcha. So uh, usually, if uh, one side offers more money mid fight. They'll be like, all right, cool. We're fighting for you Just now. Just mid-fight. So, like, yeah. like, did the we U- get any more gold in the last 20 minutes? <laughs> in, okay, throw it at that. Yeah, exactly. So the <laughs> Eugoliths, uh, they they really kind of like introduce this chaotic um, element to the fight that's already really chaotic. Yeah, it's like a sub-fight going yeah, on. Okay. Like who can control this like rando band of crazy... Yeah. What? Exactly. Now, and the Eugoliths' loyalty, people. no matter what, can't be guaranteed. Like... Even with all the money, if shit gets too hot, they might just say, yeah, we're done. Yeah, because they're weakening both sides by playing this role. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to get into doing that. doing the thing. Yeah. So because of this flipping of constant sides, uh, devils and demon armies will often carry like these massive chests of wealth to bribe Eugolists on the spot. Right. Or to have Eugolists that they've contracted like kind of holding a reminder like hey this is why you guys are here don't forget about this awesome chest of awesomeness that i got right behind yeah totally it's a mystery grab bag you don't know what's in it but i promise it's good exactly but then this turns these chests into targets for the other side yeah it just it turns into this whole (laughs) slog fest oh my gosh it's it's really interesting that's messy Um, yeah it's very very messy Euliths can afford to be this fickle and unpredictable uh when it comes to the blood war due to the fact that they are unaffected by death when not on their home plane. Now, this is normal for all what? fiends. Fiends that are not killed on their home plane don't die. They just go back to their home plane. Right. And since most of the Blood War fights are happening in either Beator or the Abyss... They're immortal, um, basically. They're basically... Yeah, they, they just jump into the fray. They, they just don't care. respawn, but they respawn really far away. Exactly. So now, like, fights oh, can happen and do happen excuse me, on the plane of Gehenna. And when this happens, the the prices of the Eulis just skyrocket. And if you're not looking like the winning side of them, tough luck, they're gone. Yeah, I'd be out. I'd yeah. be like, well, home was home is cool, but if like all this shit is going down here, I yeah, later. Yeah. So, so this this willingness to involve themselves so heavily in the blood war can and often is shocked up to their inherent evil nature and greed. But there are those who theorize on a higher purpose to their involvement. So basically, mm. even though Eugolists are not lawful, there uh, there's this. Strict hierarchy to them. It's it's a power hierarchy. You know, okay, the more powerful sure. you are, 
the more command you have. But the ultraloths, which we'll get into later, run the show. Okay. And they make all the big decisions. And, like, no Yugolith party can do anything against an ultraloth's wishes. They just It just won't happen. So there's this theory that some say that the involvement of the Yugoliths is very calculated to the point where the idea is they're trying to weaken the demons and devils to the point where the Yugoliths can then rise up and claim the cosmos for themselves. I mean, that's what that's that's what I got from the beginning. Yeah. Like just that little bit of like, well, we're for hire. Yeah, I think for the highest bidder. Right. When there's only two sides. Right. I think it's a bit of both. I think that like on the lower level, the Yugoliths, they love the wealth. They love doing it for the wealth. It's very like um they do it for the money. They, they love, do it for the money. They love throwing fat stacks at you know fine ladies. Or <laughs> sure, sure, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, my point is, like uh, at the lower levels, it is exactly what it seems to be. Mm. They just they they'll do it for the money. They they love the mayhem and they love not being able to die. So it's a win win win. That's money on the on the upper echelon stuff. There's there's a bigger goal going on. Uh, and okay, that's that's kind of how I see it. So, like I said, Yugolists see themselves as the superior evil to demons and devils, and they think the whole lawful and chaoticness is silly. And uh, oh, why should wrong. huh huh no never mind <laughs> and they 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 say why should either of these parties rule we should rule okay so mm. we're gonna talk about okay where do the Yugolists come from because we we've already established like how the devils were made with Asmodeus and the fallen angels and the corruption and then how the abyss uh, generates demons infinitely um, so. Where do Yugoliths come from? Now, there's two major origin stories. Yeah, well, when a when a mommy and a daddy love each other very much. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> so the Monster Manual uh, claims that the first Yugoliths were created by an extremely powerful coven of night hags in at the behest of Asmodeus. So remember, night hags are considered fiends. Yeah, and they they dwell in Gehenna and they dwell in Hades. And a few of the other like lower planes, and they deal with souls and whatnot, and they're very powerful. I mean, one served as an archduke for quite some time. Yeah. So, I could see a coven of extremely powerful night hags would probably be able to create a, a race of fiends, and they do this at the behest of Esmodeus because he 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 commissions this creation in order to have an army under his control that isn't bound by Beator or the laws of Beator. Okay. They can do things outside of the law. We need the A-team. We need the A-team. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to make one. So, <laughs> I'm going to um, summon it with some night hacks. So for a while, he's actually in control of the Yugoliths completely. Um, in order to maintain this control of the army, the hags craft these four tomes with the true names of every Yugolith they create recorded into them. Okay. Now, these tomes uh, end up being known as the Books of Keeping. And whoever has the Books of Keeping controls completely all the Yugoliths that they have the true names for. Mm. Like it's, that's kind of a thing. We didn't really talk about it much in the Demons and Devil episode because I don't see it used much. But there is very much in the same way that like, if you know the true name of a fey creature, you have control of them. Yeah, totally. If you have the true name of a demon or devil, you have control of them. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Again, I don't see it used much, so I never brought it up. But it, it was mentioned extensively. In names the have power. Reading. They keep that shit on lock, Names though. have power. Yeah, and they yeah. keep that shit on lock. You got to go to hell to get um, those names. So furthermore... The hags recorded uh, even names of other fiends that crossed them. So supposedly there are names of demon lords and archdukes in these books. Oh, shoot. But no one really knows because at some point, hags being hags, the coven completely implodes due to like jealousy and, you know. Just some basic hag grab, stuff. Basic hag stuff. And in the ensuing power grab between you know, the three of them, all four books get lost. 
Oh. So they're all floating out there, and that's supposed to be like a device that you can use as a dungeon master. Of like, you found a book of keeping. Now what the fuck are you gonna do? Yeah. Um, because if now you could possibly have control over all these, it works the opposite of the um, death note. You have to erase the names in there to kill demons and devils. That'd be kind of cool. But, yeah. but no, uh, you need a special a, eraser. No that. one, no one knows where they are. So okay. that's, that's the first origin story of Eugliths. Um, but before we get into the second, let's take a short rest. Okay. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms, to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to the part of the episode where we're not talking about the last thing we were talking about. We're talking about something else. That something else is you and our love for you because you're listening to the show. Like if you can hear the sound of my voice, you should also be able to feel my love. <laughs> right, Will? Indeed. I Yeah, I feel it over here. Oh man. Oh no. <laughs> uh, yeah, we just, no, thank you guys very much. We really appreciate everybody who participates in the show. Thank you to everybody on Patreon. Thank you to everybody in the Discord. Uh, thank you to everybody leaving likes, subscribes, and comments on YouTube. We really appreciate appreciate you guys so much. Um, you can find us on soundcloud.com slash the dungeon cast, YouTube at the dungeon cast on Twitter, the dungeon cast at gmail.com if you want to leave us some critiques, feedback, questions. Um, and if you want to tell somebody about the show, we would really appreciate that too. Just tell them any of the things I just told you. 
about where you can find us. That'd be great. Do you have anything to add, Will? No. All right. Back <laughs> to the show. We've returned. Indeed we have. We are back. Talking about more fiend stuff. More fiends. Spend, we've been spending a lot of time in these lower planes. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, but like once, what's left after this? Is there more? Um, I mean, yeah, we'll probably do episodes on Gehenna and Hades and oh, stuff. Oh, okay. And, and then, like, specific, like, people. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have to revisit a lot of the fiends just because there's a lot of fiends that we didn't haven't gotten to talk about because there's so many of them. There's a lot of fiends. Yeah. And including today, we're just going to touch on, like, most of, like, the a lot the of, main Eugoliths, but there's a lot of different Eugoliths types. A lot types. of Eugoliths, a lot of demon lords. Yeah. Yeah. Demon lords are going to get all their own episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archdukes. Uh, yeah. So, no, we're, we'll be revisiting for sure. Cool. All right, so that was the first origin story, and it's the one that's presented in the 5e Monster Manual. There is a second origin story presented, and it's the Forgotten Realms one. Um, so the first one is they just got like spat out by night hags doing evil magics yeah, with exactly. devil, devil power? Yeah, basically, okay. basically. So the second origin presented is that the Eugoliths are actually the progenitors and or created by this ancient and mysterious fiend race known as the Baranoloths. Okay. Now, these guys are ancient and mysterious as the Oberonths. Remember the Oberonths? We talked about them in the Abyss episode. Yeah, yeah. So they kind of, they, they predate time, if you will. Okay. Now, they're natives to the gray wastes of Hades. They appear as these rotting, diseased, humanoid fiends with, like, the heads of skeletal horses. Mm, delicious. Um, I know, right? They dwell in twisted lairs and forbidding towers on these in these desolate, remote locations of Hades. Um, they, they're known for their mysterious schemes and like their their crazy end goals that like span thousands of years and it's for them it's all about causing as much anguish pain and torment as possible okay. they're like hags with hags who are also a neutral evil and night hags being fiends from Hades are very similar where it's all about causing as much anguish and pain and sorrow as possible yeah um these baronaloths are emotionlessly cold um, but they're incredibly intelligent, and they're they're really known for knowing ancient forbidden things that like no one knows. Oh, okay. Which again is something that hags are. Known that sounds for. like some great old one stuff. Yeah, it border it definitely borderlines on that, and and hags are also if you remember the hags episode we talk they're they're usually sought out for their ancient forbidden knowledge that they know. Okay. And funnily enough, Baranoloths are oh, that's not, why they have like those tricky they have like special magic yeah that, like the other people don't know about exactly and and funnily enough baronaloths who don't team up with pretty much anything uh do sometimes team up with night hags who dwell in the same plane so <laughs> they're like i guess male fiend night hags in a way kind of there's some similarities there anyways okay. they're like you know what we know there's really Let's not get together <laughs> right there's really not more to talk about than it said that the baronaloths maybe made the yugoloths and that's all that's really said yeah you don't talk about fight club if you're in fight club it's Apparently like the first not. and second rule is what yeah. i hear so let's talk really quickly about the home plane of the yugoloths since that is also up for debate sometimes it's hades sometimes it's gehenna but it's stated in the monster manual as gehenna so we're going with Gehenna, and the bleak eternity of Gehenna 
is made up of four infinite layers. Now, this entire plane's shtick is that it's a sloping volcanic mass where gravity pulls at a 45 degree angle to the ground. Damn. So basically, <laughs> okay. it's this constant, like, sheer cliffside that's really difficult to navigate. And all the structures there have to be built leaning over to right. compensate. So all the eugoliths have, like, really strong, like, lower bodies. Oh, yeah, like, you know it. Like, hammies and yeah. glutes are there. Yeah, their glutes are on point. They, for skip, sure. they, skip, <laughs> they skip shoulders and chest. Yeah. They didn't skip leg day. It's only leg day for yeah, them. Yeah, it's only leg day leg every day. day. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's it's generally like this wasteland of falling ash, magma rivers. The river Styx runs through here. The river Styx runs through all the lower plains. And the Eugoliths are the ones who are most noted for being able to navigate the river Styx. Okay. Um, because it's an incredibly dangerous um, river to navigate. And only the Eugoliths, there's a very specific Eugolith um, that has mastered this to perfection. He's just really good friends with the like the main boatman. Yeah, and and they're <laughs> depicted as basically skeletal boatmen. Oh, okay, yeah. for sure. And like they, you pay them a hefty price, and they can they ship the armies of the Blood War to the different planes. Nice. So the Eulists are involved. Let's in, just like, cripple these guys financially. That's I, the real key. Yeah, to there victory. it is. Yeah, it's there not it numbers. Is. It's not power. It's, it's, it's economy. Just, <laughs> it's just capitalism. Um, <laughs> there's also endless passages filled with steam and smoke, and it's just it's just a hellscape. Uh, at a 45 love, degree angle. I love when I find myself in an endless passage filled with steam. At a 45 degree angle. At a 45. Oh, specifically that. No other <laughs> angle will do. Of course. Again, maybe we'll get its own episode, probably. Uh, but that's all you really need to know about it. Since most of the time they're not there doing Blood War stuff anyways. Right. It sounds like their goal is to never be there when they're in danger. Yeah, exactly. For for the most part. Um, so let's get into some specific Eugoliths because... This is a Eugolith episode. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. So, the first uh, kind of Eugolith we're going to talk about are called the Mesoloths. Now, they're the bulk of the Eugolith population, and they're these black, chitinous, human-sized insect men with, mm. like, wide-set glowing red eyes. Okay. Um, they often wield, like, three-pronged tridents. They serve as the foot soldiers in Eugolith forces. Um, they're the lowest of the Loths. Okay. Um, they... Um, also have the ability to excel toxic fumes from their mandibles, and they have a below <laughs> average intelligence. So they're just kind of dumb foot soldiers that love violence. They like to they like to gas you. Yeah, they like <laughs> okay. to gas you. Yeah, so, they have four arms. Okay, so, so they can yeah. really they can really go for it. They can really the stab you. Uh, they could stab you. They could gas you. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Oh, their mandibles are on your face, huh? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, okay, never mind. You, where did you think the gas? I don't know. Is when I from? thought <laughs> mandibles, I thought of the right thing, but I thought of them as appendages. Oh and no. not as like the the no teeth, no it's, like it's on their face. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, their tiny little face. Yeah. Okay, they have tiny faces. Kind of. It's they got this tiny mandible mouth, but then these wide. That's right. All eugoliths are small from the waist up and large from the waist down because of the 45 they're like angle evil they crosses. oh the evil <laughs> they like look evil, a lot like evil hair crazy hair cross with traits. they got hit with like a uh, cartoon network style like human uh or, or uh radioactive waste like adult swim is what i meant to say oh yeah yeah you know? there you go so that's the mesoloth they're like again the the bulk of the army the bulk of the yugoth population now there's the peasants we the talk peons. about in demons and devils episodes the reproduction of demons and devils do we have that here <sighs> We're going to touch on it. Okay, I'll wait. I mean, we can judge on it now. Okay, so there's super not a lot written about Eugolus. I had to dig super deep, and the the biggest amount of Eugolus lore I could find was in a second edition book that I can't remember the name of right now. Something to do with fiends. Anyways, there's a huge Eugolus section, um, and it talks about the promotion of Eugolus between the forms, because okay, apparently sure. they can do that too, and about how they're replenished. Uh, but it kind of doesn't 
kind of contradicts what's been said so far in 5e. But basically, whenever a Eugolith dies, according to the second 2e lore, uh, Gehenna, the plane, actually mm-hmm. will produce another one. So there's a finite number of Eugoliths, but they're infinitely replenished. Does so that make sense? There's always 500, and when one dies... Right. Like, That's the idea. So if one goes out to Beator and dies in Beator, it comes back to Gehenna as the same, like it respawns the same creature. Right. But if one dies in, in Gehenna, Gehenna, it just gets respawned as a new creature. Yeah, it's like brand soul new recycled. Creature. It's not even soul recycled. That that thing's dead and gone. Something just, new has like, been born. I just absorb those resources and reform something. That's brand new. the idea. Now, again, this is the only place I could find this was in a 2E Planescape specific book. Okay. But there it is. <laughs> and as for promotion through the forms, the, the idea is that like, if a Eugolith proves its worth at whatever form it's at mm-hmm. to its higher-ups, and then those higher-ups go to their higher-ups and say, hey, this Duke should get promoted, that Eugolith will get, like, super grilled with, like, an interview of, like, basically, you got to prove yourself. Yeah, you have and to put then, together a PowerPoint presentation of all your sales against <laughs> demons much. versus devils for yeah. the last quarter. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and then... If all that goes through and you get the green light, then there's like this really painful purification ritual where they strip away all of your memories and experience, except for like the ones they want you to keep. Okay. And then they change you to the next form. Okay. It's really weird. It's like you're go- you're getting promoted to a sales manager and like, right. yeah, it's like, forget about all the Sorry. sales you fucked up. Like only yeah. remember the good sales. Only remember all the useful lessons. Okay. <laughs> so let's, let's keep talking about the different types of Eugoliths. Um, the next one we're going to talk about are the Nikoliths or the Nikoliths. I'm not really, it's N-Y-C-A-L-O-T-H-S. Oh, I've but seen that. These are the most traditional looking of the Eugoliths. They look like large, bulky, green devil men with wings. Okay. Um, they look kind of like really buff green gargoyles. Cool. I like um, that. They serve as the elite shock troops of the Eugolith forces and the airborne troops as well. They have innate magic to turn invisible, to double their image, and to teleport. So they're really, wow. even though they're big, bulky, and strong, and they're also really tricksy because of magic. and mobile. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember um, the the 90s uh, animated television show, like uh, Gargoyles? Yeah. It's called Gargoyles. Hell yeah. Goliath. Goliath, Goliath. hell yeah. 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 Well, that's kind of a tropey name, but I love that guy. Is it though? How is it a tropey name for a gargoyle? I mean, I don't know. Goliath gargoyle. I I guess, yeah, no, it's okay. It's not. It was a very fitting name for some reason. They sound like they look like Goliath, but green. Yeah, they look more devilish though. They look like straight. They almost look like a quasit souped up. I don't remember. Oh, these guys? The the Nycoliths. The Nycoliths? Yeah. Okay. So not not really. I'm kind of picturing it off. Yeah, you're picturing more gargoyle and less devil. Okay, Does that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you said gargoyles. So. Anyways, they're they're like I said, they're incredibly strong, and they they usually wield like giant weapons, like with big these, ass hammers, big ass axes, and nice. Stuff. Yeah, and they just cleave through the battlefield. <laughs> cool. Um, so that's the Nikoloth. Um, after that, I think these guys that we're going to talk about are the most interesting. The Arconoloths. I'm, I'm sure you're seeing a um, a naming convention here. It all yes. ends with Loth. <laughs> These guys are pretty high in the totem pole. Um, they are jackal-headed humanoids known for their inherent shape-shifting abilities. Okay. Um, they're regardless of their form, they're always well groomed and they're always well dressed. They're inc- like hyper intelligent and very manipulative. Um, their shtick is that they con- they hunger for knowledge and magics above all things. Okay. And they're very proficient in both knowledge and magic. Uh, they commit. They uh, command whole like units. Any high level salesperson would be. 
I suppose so, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, they uh, they command whole units of lesser eugolists. So, like I said, they're pretty higher up. They're like the majors nice. in the military, maybe. I don't really know military ranks that well. Okay. Um, but they're also responsible for all of the contracts, record keeping, and accounts of the eugolists. And trust me, they're keeping account because they're counting every coin. Oh, yeah. So Absolutely. And so they're responsible for that. Another thing about them Man, is- The more you talk, the more my analogy feels spot on. And what was your analogy again? about how this is like a like because we look at the devils like in those episodes we make jokes about how corporate it is oh yeah and yeah. like this is like an offshoot of that where they're just like this is like a used car dealership for a not lawful society they're pretty lawful <laughs> yeah I mean they're I mean they're counting coin for sure they're counting coin for sure it's yeah. neutral right it's neutral evil yeah, yeah so they're so. lawful when they need to be yeah pretty much pretty much it uh, another stick of the Econoloths is uh, they can speak read and write in all languages okay yeah so well there you go. Yeah, I just they have a really cool look to them. They look they look menacing, but also like I, they're dressed I, in, inviting a, in, in a way. Yeah, they're dressed yeah. in an approachable fashion. It's, they really are. So there's a Stephen King character uh, convention with um, they're called the low men and they dress like this, but they have the heads of and the bodies of like horrible like animal creatures mm-hmm. and they have um they have these big like red dots in the middle of their forehead that look like um uncoagulated blood flowing through it and mm-hmm. it's like the eye of the crimson king or whatever that yeah. controls them all etc but they're right. like rat people or like birds or, oh like, yeah you told me about yeah this. and they're uh, a lot of them dress like they're trying to be human and stuff that this right. reminds me of that to the team. i think there's a lot of similarities like there. Th- like yeah. these guys i picture them in this fashion like if i run it through the stephen king filter it's gonna they're gonna be wearing like a suit like a really nice well-pressed suit but it's gonna right. be like checkered brown and white or something like sure. crazy like from the 60s or <laughs> I whatever i can see that for sure yeah. yeah i like that i like that image um okay so the final list that we're going to talk about specifically are the ultraloths now these are the high commanders of all Eugolists. They're considered basically the highest form. Okay. Um, they look, like I said earlier, a lot like gray aliens. They're they're gray-skinned humanoids with an elongated head, uh, and their face has no features except for two oval gray eyes. Okay, nothing now, else. So they're nothing like the Slenderman. I guess so, kind of. Slenderman look like, yeah, aliens go with the aliens. Sure, yeah. Uh, their eyes... Uh, are also a weapon they can turn into like these pools of sparkling light that will enthrall an enemy or Mm -hmm. or or even implant like illusions into their head okay and send them reeling um but yeah they they are the schemers uh they're constantly trying to politically outmaneuver each other for more power and higher standing in eugolith society um, they command entire armies of Eugoliths, and they though they rarely enter the fight, um, they're incredibly powerful both physically and magically. Okay, cool. Yeah, so so that's the Ultraloths. Yeah, that's what they look like and just kind of the way they are. They're just the epitome of this structure. Now, above all Eugolith kind, including the Ultraloths, is a specific Ultraloth who's so powerful, none oppose him. Okay. I would say this guy's power borders on Demon Lord, but not quite. Okay, sure. Um, but he is the most powerful Eugolith. Um, and unlike the rest of the Eugoliths, his true name is not recorded because the hags never recorded it. I don't know why they created this. They created this Ultraloth to control all the other Eugoliths, but I guess they wanted to leave a way for him to have autonomy. Not okay. explained, but again, his name isn't recorded in the books of keeping. Like they were just like, okay, make sure we record them all. And they made the first one. It was this guy and they let him go. And they're like, so... Uh did you get, like, 
I forgot what I named him. <laughs> right. I forgot to write it, it down. It could have been that. My sure. Bad. I'll get um, it on the next one. But <laughs> he is known as simply the general of Gehenna. And okay. he dwells within a city that crawls along the wastes of Gehenna. Ooh, that's awesome. And from there, he oversees all of Eugalith kind. That's really cool. So yeah, that's the general of Gehenna. I like it. So you got any questions about the Eugaliths? I know they're a weird bit of lore. They're, they're, they're really... Um, so the strongest guy is this general? Yeah. And he's barely, Besides maybe the Baron Aloths. He's barely like demon lord power? Yeah. Because you're not swinging a big baseball bat at, at anybody if right. that's what you got like, I, compared to these other realms. I think this is also why the Eugaliths are so conniving and They have not. to be tricksy about it. They have it. to be tricksy about it because there's no way they're outpowering either of the other fiends. Yeah. I mean, like... They've got the numbers, right? So if there's like a scale, if you need the scale tipped, you can throw them in for higher. And like that makes sense. But maybe otherwise they kind of get ignored. Like they're just a tool. So like you're not going to go after them later because they're really just this like dust mite. Yeah, I think that they they would want devils and demons to see them as lesser than and not a threat. Right. Because then they can better manipulate both sides. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But... I, in in some of the the books I was reading, um, they were written from like a, a first person perspective. And okay. So like this this adventure was talking about how like you see at every level of the Blood War, Eugalith, uh influence. Oh, okay. Eugaliths holding like some sort of economic power that actually really holds a sway. It's kind of like. Uh, in World War One, where the U.S. was funding both sides of the war, like well, not funding, but like selling yeah. to both sides, and because of that, had a huge amount of pull. And that's a that's a totally different discussion, but it's kind of the same thing where like they hold these resources, or even just like the transport on the River Styx, and like even though they're smaller and weaker and less numerous, they're holding they these hold, key economic pieces. Exactly. Of the puzzle. So they hold huge sway over the war. Okay. And so that's why the theory is like, if they hold all this power and they're evil and conniving, there's no way there's not some bigger picture thing that they're going for here. Right. Like power corrupts. Absolutely. So, you know, and they're already corrupt anyway. So yeah, okay. there it is. But it's so, just that's kind of left to the imagination on it that It really one. is left to the imagination. And again, there's not a lot of stuff written about these guys when you compare it to demons and, and devils. This is so. one of those things that they uh, that wizards could like expand on in the future probably. Definitely. And like, if, here's another chapter of the Blood War. It's some Eugalith nonsense. Yeah, I, okay. could, I could see that for sure. All right. So with that being said, I think we can call it a game. But yeah, let's call it a game. All right, we'll talk to you guys later. Thank you. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. 
As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. 